Good morning. Welcome out to Vail. My name is Ted Max. I get to serve on staff here as the lead pastor. We are glad you are spending a little part of your weekend with us. If you're in the room, though, if you could help me by welcoming those that are joining us online today. We're glad you're with us, wherever you're tuning in from. Thanks for being here. Uh, those of you in Alabama, Arizona, Colorado, Florida, Georgia, Idaho, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Michigan, the list goes on and on. Of course, state of Illinois, we are glad you are here. We are in a series entitled From Paper to Person, and we've been going through and unpacking basically these little encounters with Jesus in scripture where we're really just seeing Jesus come to life, like off the pages into the person and the power of who he was. And so we're going to continue that today. Before we do, I've got a real quick kind of announcement, something that we're doing actually right now. And I'm always really nervous when I, I do this. Every about a year and a half, two years, we do something like this. And I always get a little scary, uh, scared up here when I tell people about it. Uh, but right now, uh, in the parking lot, while you're sitting in here, there are a bunch of people from our parking lot team that are out there putting these on your car. Now, but real quick, before anyone gets upset, they're just magnets. They just, they just, they lightly snap to the back of your car. And I want to say, if you don't want it on there, no problem. When you leave today, grab it, pull it off, throw it in your refrigerator, pray for us. That would be amazing. Uh, just for a local church, we would love that if you would do that. But I also want to add a couple little details with this. Uh, number one, um, the reason why we do it is because there are tons of people. You'd be blown away by the amount of people who will come check out church because they drive around town and they go, oh my goodness, there's a lot of people that go to this church. We should check it out. And so they'll come and they'll see what it's about. So it's very, very impactful. But I also want to just make sure that you know that if you maybe would call yourself um, an unfriendly driver, um, help us out. Take it off your car. <laughs> Don't have it on your car. That'd be great. If you like to communicate with your hands when you drive, you know, like thumbs up are great, but if you use other fingers, um, please take it off your car. That would be awesome. So you'd be shocked the emails I've got people. Come on. They're like, people go to your church. I want you to know what they did. I'm like, thank you for that. We still would love you to come. No perfect people allowed. Okay, great. So um, anyways, if you can help us with that, that would be great as we step out in faith to invite people as we prepare for Easter. And so that's my quick announcement. But today what I get to do is I get to continue our series of paper to person. And we're going to take a look at a story that comes out of Luke chapter 7. So if you've got your Bibles, join me, please. Uh, we're going to look at this story where some characters who were kind of on the outside really get invited into the inside. And this is really important for us as a church, who we are, the way we've been designed, what we've been called to do as a church and as a people. And so I want to start there. Um, but what I want to do is I want to start with just a quick question for you. All right. So I want you just to think really quickly, if there's ever been a time that you have felt like you didn't belong. I want you to think about a time where you just felt like you didn't, you didn't feel like you belong. In fact, some of you might be feeling that right now. Um, I know that coming to church can be a scary thing, especially if you've not been to church in a while or you don't have church background or experience. You come in and you're, you look around and you think like, oh, these people, they, they probably have it together. You know, their marriages belong in a Hallmark movie. They probably pray. You know, like, like there's a whole list of things that go through your head of they probably are just good people. And do I belong? Will I be judged? Will I fit in? All those questions go through your head. And so I want to kind of just start off by saying this is that, yes, you do belong. In fact, the writer that we're going to read from today, Luke, a um, little detail about him that's really important I think you should know, is that Luke is the only non-Jewish writer in the entire New Testament. He's the only kind of outside writer. And so he loves to write stories about people who were kind of on the outside, the prostitutes and um, people that were tax collectors and people that were far from God and people that were sinners, exiles, people that Jesus loved, that Jesus welcomed that Jesus engaged, Luke writes about them. And so Luke is in a, has a kind of a perspective that a lot of us understand. He probably felt like an outsider 
who was welcomed inside. And so that's where we're going to pick up our story today. And so I want to start with two different characters. I'm going to tell two different stories that are completely disconnected in the Bible, but I'm going to try to build a bridge between the two of them and see what we might learn from it today. And so I want to begin with the first person. He's a centurion. All right, this will be centurion number one. Now, centurions, we'll talk about in a second who they are, what they do. But let me start off with where Jesus is at. So Jesus is in an area of Galilee called Capernaum. Capernaum is a place that he kind of was his home base. He did a lot of ministry out of Capernaum. Uh, I've been there a bunch of times. It's a really cool little city. Um, But he was on the mountainside preaching the Beatitudes. Now, if you know the Beatitudes, it's where he basically got up and he talked about judgment and life in God and kingdom of heaven and what he thinks the world should look like. He kept on preaching through this idea of blessed are, and then he would unpack some biblical truths. And so he's just preached. A huge crowd is there. And he makes his way into Capernaum. And then he has this encounter that we're going to talk about today. And so I want to read in Luke chapter 7, verse 1. Here's how the story goes. It says this. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered into Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. And so let's stop here for a second. And let's talk about centurions for a little bit. Uh, centurions were Roman, basically, officials, believe it or not, just, not just soldiers. They basically were the highest rank that you could get as an enlisted man in the Roman military. So this was kind of a prestigious position to climb to. In order to go above this, you had to be born into basically a noble family. You had to have noble birthright in order for you to be anything higher. So this is a very valued position. They were called centurions because they would get 100 soldiers under them. That's why they have that title. 100 soldiers is what they would have. So this specific centurion is garrisoned around Capernaum. And so here's what I can show you a picture of them. These guys were highly trained, highly armed. Um, They were considered very dangerous, and they were an occupying force. Now, this is really important detail. I need you to understand this about this centurion. They were hated. They were outsiders. Jewish people didn't want them there, did not like them there, didn't understand why they were there sometimes. And so this centurion went every single day throughout his life knowing that he was being looked at, he was being judged, and he was being criticized because he couldn't just blend in, right? He couldn't just hide out. You see, he had to wear the uniform every single day. So everywhere he went, people knew who he was and they knew what he represented and what he stood for. Now that brings me to like our lives. I don't know if you can come back to a time where you felt that way where you felt unwelcomed, unwanted, that you didn't belong. I remember a time for me, it was very, very kind of like, like it sticks out in my mind. It was when I came out of a season of my life that was really sin-filled. I'd made some bad choices um, a long time ago. And I remember coming out of the season and I, I decided I wanted to start over at a new church. I thought maybe a new start would be a great place to be. And so I, I went to this new church and I remember walking in and I just felt like everybody knew what I had done. Everybody knew what the mistakes I'd made, the things that you know, I had collected through my life. And, and I just felt like people were watching me when they saw me. I was like, what are they thinking about me? And, and even though no one ever said anything about it, even though no one ever came up to me and said, hey, I, I know who you are. I know what you did. I just felt it. And, and at least in a big church, which it was a big church, I was able to kind of sneak in and hide out and just try to be there as I was trying to work on my relationship with God. But I remember feeling that way. And I had the ability to kind of blend in. And yet this Roman can't. He can't do that. And so here's what happens as the story goes on. It says this in verse three. It says, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews. Now, this is a really interesting detail. Why in the world would the elders of the Jews 
go to Jesus on behalf of Centurion. It says this, it says that they asked him to come and heal his servant. So this centurion basically pulls a card. He says, hey, I've got some people who are kind of a big deal in Capernaum. Um, I'm gonna send them to see if they can get Jesus to come and help me. Now, Luke, who's a, a writer, knows that he's a physician and he knows how quickly something small can become really bad. He's got a servant that's about to die and this centurion cares about that servant. And so he basically says, hey, I'm gonna pull every card I can in order to get my servant the help that he needs. Now, we're gonna find out here in a moment why these elders did this. Now, I just want you to keep this in mind how big of a deal this is. It'd be like Ukrainian refugees asking Jesus to help Putin with a personal problem. It's really what we're talking about. Like these people were oppressed by the Romans and yet they go on the behalf of the Roman to Jesus. Here's what happens. It says, and when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he is worthy This centurion is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built our synagogue. You see, this guy had some goodwill. This centurion had enough goodwill that the elders actually liked him. They're like, we like this guy. Now, the question becomes, why in the world would he build their synagogue? Now, I think there's two reasons for this, so I'm going to give them to you real quick. Um, In fact, let me just show you. uh, If you were to go to Capernaum, the synagogue that Jesus actually taught in is still there like the, the foundations of it. In fact, if you were to go there, it would look like this today. That's basically what's left. Now, this is a fourth century synagogue, fourth century. Jesus was here in the first century. The reason it's a fourth century is because the Byzantines came and found the foundation of the original synagogue and they built on top of it. So if you walk around the edge of the building, you actually find this. This is the original block, the original stone from the region that the synagogue was built out of. In 70 AD, the Romans destroyed the temple because they were really upset and mad at the country and the nation at the time. There was an insurrection that took place, and they went around and they destroyed a bunch of other worship places like this one. And so in the fourth century, it got rebuilt. But this is the exact spot, and it's the floor, the foundation that Jesus would have preached and taught on. And so this is what this centurion built. And so he built it, one, probably for good faith. He said, hey, listen, if I'm going to be here in this region, I've got 100 men, but just in Capernaum alone, there's 2,000 people that live here at that time. Surrounding regions and areas, maybe double that, so four to 5,000 that could be there within the day. And so this centurion is wildly outnumbered. If things go wrong, he's got armor and they've got weapons, but 100 versus 4,000, we know how that's going to go. And so he recognizes it's smart to be in good graces with these people. The second thing is many Romans were actually drawn to Judaism. They were drawn to it. Let me explain why. If you know anything about Roman culture or Roman religion, they served many gods. And if you know anything about the Roman gods, they were actually very vengeful. They were vindictive. They weren't exactly kind. They weren't considered good gods. Morality was not part of their system or understanding. And then you come to Judaism, and Jews believe that God is just He is merciful, he is loving, and he cares about his people. In fact, if you were to go through the Bible, I think many of us sometimes can look at the Bible and just say, well, it's a list of rules. It's a bunch of rules that God gave to mankind, and yet the Jewish people understood it very differently. You see, there are rules in this that have to do with governing your business, your relationships, your hygiene, your culture, your faith, and these rules were actually put there because God loves his people. He said, these are guardrails to help you live the best life possible. And so as an outsider, a Roman, you come into this and say, man, this God sounds pretty good. He sounds better than our gods. Like he sounds like someone that I'd like to know. And so there was a lot of Romans that were actually drawn to the teachings of Judaism. And I think that's where we find this Roman. And so here's some context for you as we get into the next part of the story. So here's what happens. 
And so, so Jesus decided to go with the elders. So the elders convinced him. So Jesus is making his way to the centurion's house and says this, when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Now I already find this story kind of just weird. He gets the elders to ask Jesus to come. Jesus says, sure, I'll come. Yeah, no problem, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll go with you. And then before he even gets there, a different group of people come out and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus, you don't have to come. It's like, but the elders said I was, I, what's happening right now? Like, I'm, I'm sure Jesus is a little like caught off guard, like why? And so this guy makes this case that says, no, I actually don't need you to come. And here's why, here's what he says. He says, you don't have to come to my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. All of a sudden, this centurion says, I recognize Jesus that you have the power. All you gotta do is speak it and I know it will be done. You don't actually have to come here and do this. And then he gives his reasoning why he thinks this way. Here's what he says. He says, for I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Like at this point, Jesus has this moment of like, man, this dude is like filled with faith. Like he doesn't even want me to come into the house to heal the servant. Now, this is why this is weird. In this culture, in this time, If you wanted someone to come heal someone for you, they would have to come to you and they would actually do it in person because the only way they knew how to do it was with oils and ointments and balms and ceremony. They had to do it in person. They would never ever think to do it from a distance. It's just not heard of. So the question becomes, why does this centurion believe that Jesus has the power to heal from a distance? And in order to understand it, I wanna take you to a story real quick. All right, really fast one. If you were to go back to the book of John, There's an encounter several months before this where Jesus is in Cana. Say Cana. All right, so Cana, really important spot. Cana is the place where Jesus did his first miracle. He turned water into wine. It's about 13 miles away from Capernaum, which is where Jesus is at right now. So the centurion's from Capernaum. Jesus is in Cana. A leader from Capernaum is in Cana doing business. And while he's there, he has a son at home that is sick. And he finds out Jesus is in Cana, so he goes to Jesus in Cana and says, Jesus, would you heal my son, right? A really good request. Like, if you're a parent, you're going to do anything in your power to see your kid get healed, right? So he goes and he says, hey, Jesus, I need your help. And the weirdest thing happens in this story. He says, would you come back with me and heal my son in Capernaum? And Jesus actually rebukes him, like rebukes him, which is really weird. Like, why would Jesus rebuke a father who's seeking the healing of his son? Well, the reason he rebukes him is because the man has assumed that Jesus can only heal him if he comes back home with him. He basically says, listen, you won't believe it unless you see me do the work. You just want a miracle and you only care that it's done your way. And so he basically says, what if I can do it a different way? And this becomes the question, right? It becomes this belief. Like, do you believe that his word at a distance is as powerful as his touch in your presence? That's why he rebukes him. He rebukes him because he says, listen, you have no idea what I'm capable of. Just maybe... Do you think that I can exceed your expectations? We talked about that last week. And so here's what happens. Jesus rebukes him and then he says, your son is healed. He just like, like, like at a whim, like your son's healed. Now I gotta ask all the parents in the room here, right? Your kid's sick, you're 13 miles from your child. Jesus says the words you've been longing to hear, your child is healed, what do you think you would do? You'd run the fastest half marathon you've ever run in your life, right? You would beeline at home. You'd be like, I gotta find out, I gotta know. And that's what happens. The guy goes back to Capernaum. He goes into the house and what does he find? He finds his son is well. And you know what he asks? He asks the servant, he's like, when did it happen? 
Like, like when exactly did it happen? Like walk me through the timeline of when he got better and he starts to put his time and their timeline together and guess what he finds out? It lines up right when Jesus said he's healed. Now as a parent, just let me talk to the parents real quick. If your son was on the edge of death and Jesus healed him from a distance and you got home and found him healed, what would you do? I bet some of you all would be on Facebook so fast doing a video but like, let me just tell you God is good, right? <laughs> You would, you would be telling your friends, you'd be calling people, you'd be tweeting, you'd be on Instagram, you'd be letting some people know that God is good and that Jesus did what he said he would do. And my bet is the centurion heard the story that was now being passed around Capernaum. And so this centurion has some context that Jesus has power to heal from a distance. And so what does he ask for? He asked for Jesus to do the thing that he knew Jesus could do. He said, listen, what you did for the son, you can do for my one. And so I believe you are who you say you are. And he says, so I have trust. I have faith. Here's what happens. It says, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled. Say marveled. I love this. He says he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said this. I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So Jesus is not only like in awe of the faith of centurion, he's like, I'm gonna do the miracle too, by the way. So he, he does the miracle, and then he just is in awe of the faith of this centurion. Now, here's what I love about this passage. This is only one of two times that Jesus is amazed. That's another translation for marveled. He was amazed. Only two, other, two times in the Bible that it says Jesus was amazed. He was right here, and the second one, do you know where I was at? It's when he went to his hometown, and he had a very different experience. He went to his hometown, and there in his hometown where he grew up, where he was just a little boy, a carpenter's son, there where he grew up, it says in the Bible that he could do very few miracles because the people lacked faith. And it says that Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. Two different times, two different instances. One, there was so much faith, it amazed him. One, there was so little faith, it amazed him. And Jesus says, which, which way do you want to amaze Jesus? Do you want to amaze him with your lack or with the plenty that you have of faith? And so he says, there's power in this. And I just find the story about this so interesting that the person that had the most faith, think about this. The person that had the most faith was an outsider. And you know what I found in my time, my time in ministry? This is just something I think. This is just my belief, right? I can't prove this biblically. This is just my belief. I think sometimes people on the outside have the ability to see Jesus clearer than people on the inside. I think there's something about being far from him, and then when you see him, there's something about believing him that just is powerful for people that are on the outside. And so I wanna put a pin in that for just a second, all right? That's story number one. I wanna take you to story number two about another centurion. We'll call him centurion number two. He has a name, we'll get to it in a second. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, also wrote another book in the Bible. Maybe you've heard of it, the book of Acts. Luke was the author of that one too. In Acts chapter 10, Luke tells a story of another centurion. So I want you to kind of connect. These are, these are connected, but they're disconnected. This story is after Jesus is resurrected. The church is now kind of functioning. Peter's already preached at the day of Pentecost. Thousands of people have joined the way, which is what the name of Christianity was in the beginning. It was called the way. And so all of a sudden there's this guy who's a Gentile, an outsider, a centurion, who is intrigued by the God of Israel. And so he begins to pray. He starts to pray to the God of Israel. He starts to just pray and ask God, would you reveal yourself to me? And at three in the afternoon, he's praying and God does something miraculous. God sends an angel to this guy by the name of Cornelius, who was the centurion. And there the angel said to Cornelius, hey, Cornelius, you need to call for Peter. 
Now, Peter, if you know who he is, Peter is one of Jesus' disciples, kind of a big deal. At this point, Peter has preached, thousands of people have come and joined Christianity, and he's now basically the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So like he's got a big title, big thing to do. He's got a big following, right? And then all of a sudden, Cornelius has said, send for Peter. And so I'm just like curious, like Cornelius is probably like, well, I don't know if he'll come. Like, will he come? And so he sends for him. And sure enough, Peter decides to make the trip. So he makes the trip to Cornelius's house. And I want to show you what happens because this is where it gets really interesting for me. Here's what happens. It says this, Peter said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful, that is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. So Peter basically says, hey, you realize that I'm not supposed to be here, right? And and the reason why, if I could just be really honest, um, Cornelius, you're an outsider. You're an outsider. You see, the Jewish people believed that they were God's chosen people. They were on the inside, and anyone who wasn't Jewish was an outsider, and so they just made it a rule. It'd be so much easier. Those on the inside, we don't establish any relationships with those on the outside, so it's just a rule. Don't do it. And so Peter shows up and says, hey, I recognize I'm not supposed to be here, but I also recognize that God has called me into a different place and a different space, and I recognize that I need to be here, so how can I help? And here's what happens. Cornelius tells the story of how an angel appeared to him and how he was supposed to call Peter, and so Peter all of a sudden has this really cool moment. Peter gets to walk across the bridge that Jesus built. He gets to take the journey that like, I believe Jesus came to accomplish. You see, remember, Jesus at one point in his ministry was speaking to a woman at a well, and he made this statement. He says, salvation is gonna come through the Jewish people. We, we know that we worship the one true God, and it's through Judaism that God will basically reveal himself to people. He said, but a day is coming where all people will worship the true God in spirit and in truth. He was saying that a day is gonna come that through me, the Messiah, God was gonna open this thing up, not just to the Jewish people, but to all people for all time. And so here's what Peter does. Let me show you. It says, so Peter opened his mouth. He said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, the word that came through the Jewish people, through the nation of Israel, he says, preaching the good news. Say good news. That's the gospel. The good news that God loved you, that he sent his son to live, to die, but he didn't leave him dead. He raised him to new life. He says that good news of peace through Jesus Christ, because you know what? He is Lord of all. Say all. Now, here's where this is good. I just want to, this is why I get excited. I love this part of the Bible. Here's why. Cornelius is the first non-Jew in Scripture to come to Jesus. He's the first one that led to thousands, that led to millions, that led to billions. And to be honest, the majority of us in here, you are Gentile. You are outsider. You are not born Jewish. You are not the Jewish nation. You have got grafted in because of Jesus and his work on the cross. And Cornelius is the start of that. I'm excited. Anybody else excited? This is good. I'm preaching better than you're responding. Listen up. Check this out. (laughs) Stay with me. This is where it gets really good. This is the truth that you need to hear and that I need to hear. This is where where it gets practical. All right, give me like 10 minutes of your time. All right, I'm gonna gonna close this thing up. It's gonna be good. It's worth your time. This is what I know to be true. Every single person, every one of us starts as an outsider. All of us. We all start as outsiders. In fact, can I just be really honest with you? The disciples were outsiders. They just didn't know they were outsiders. Jesus came along, and I've always loved the fact that Jesus came along, and you look at the people he picked. He picked a bunch of misfits. 
He really did. Like, and, and I know that I say that now. I'm gonna get to heaven someday and I'm gonna get grief for it from the disciples. I'm like, bro, misfits, really? Like, but, but I recognize this. Like, think about this. He also picked a bunch of kids. I've always found that, that detail fascinating. If you go to the Bible, you recognize only one of the disciples that followed Jesus was over the age of 21, Peter. Peter was the old guy. And here's what is just amazing to me. He picked tax collectors. He picked zealots, people that just wanted to tear down the Roman Empire no matter what it costs. He picked fishermen, dropouts basically, people that never made it through the Jewish schooling. They never showed that they had the ability to rise above. And so what did they do? They got kicked out at a certain age because they didn't make it very far and they went back to their father's businesses. They went back to fishing. And Jesus called them. But if you go look closely at his ministry, you know what you're gonna find real quick? Is that Jesus invited them and they didn't believe. In fact, it took a long time for them to believe. Jesus said, follow me before they ever believed in him. And he did miracle after miracle after miracle. And it was through the course of doing ministry with Jesus that eventually the disciples began to believe. It took them a little while. There was a journey that was involved. And this is the thing I think that we need to recognize. And I think this is where we get in trouble. And so I'm gonna pick on Christians for just a minute. If you're in this room and you've called on the name of Jesus, you are saved by faith through grace and you have a relationship with God. Can I tell you what I think one of our biggest problems is in the church? One, I think one of my biggest problems is I think here's what tends to happen, especially in the American church. Outsiders tend to become insiders who forget about outsiders. What happens is, is that we get our salvation and we get saved and we, we all of a sudden believe that we have a relationship with Jesus. And what happens is, is a little bit by little, we begin to grow closer to him. And then little by little, we begin to clean our lives up a little bit. And little by little, we get a little closer to him. And then all of a sudden we forget that we were saved by grace through faith. And we actually begin to think that we're worthy of it. We begin to think we're righteous. We have moments where we begin to think, you know what, I'm actually not that bad, I'm pretty good. You know what, I'm, I'm a good person. And you know what we begin to think? We actually begin to think we're special. And what happens is the moment you begin to think you're special is the moment you begin to forget about people who don't know what you know, who haven't experienced the life of Christ, who haven't moved from the outside to the inside, because now that we're inside, we forget about those that are outside. And the problem is, is Jesus said, that's not the plan. The plan is that once you get inside, I need you to go back outside and I need you to invite some people inside. And so this is the message from our church to you. And this is from the message from God's word to you. It's this right here. You belong. You belong. Every single one of you. And I'm going to say something that I know I'll get raked over the coals for. I know saying it because there's always people on both sides of this. But let me just, there's a whole group of people out there that hate when churches say you belong before you believe. The reason I don't like it is because the early church, early church used to actually have rules. I don't know if you knew this. Early church used to have rules that you could only come inside if you believed. Only Christians were allowed inside. If you were non-Christian, you couldn't come to the services. You actually had to get saved before you came in. And church has changed a lot where now we just say, we want you to come exactly as you are. And I'm gonna go ahead and say something that would be really unpopular. There's probably some theologians, but just because the early church did something doesn't mean it was right. Just because they did it that way doesn't mean it was right. Because I look at Jesus and Jesus invited a bunch of people to follow him who didn't believe him. He said, I want you to follow me, and then over time, you'll eventually believe in me, and then when you believe in me, you'll begin to behave like me. He said, there's a journey of belonging, believing, then behaving, and he says, I just want you to be in that journey. And as a church, can I just say that to you? You belong even if you don't believe. If you're sitting in this room and you don't believe what I believe yet, you're welcome here. I'm glad you're here. My hope is that you'll come, you'll ask questions, you'll learn, and my hope is, my prayer is, is that as you belong, as you're invited, as you're welcomed, that little by little, God would get a hold of you and you would begin to believe. And then as you believe, you would begin to obey. That's the journey of salvation. That's the journey of sanctification. That's the journey that God gave to us. And we wanna do it with you. We wanna participate with you. I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and you know what I've always found interesting about just our world? 
How quickly we will norm with people that are like us, but how quickly we will basically look at people that don't look like us. And we always have a tendency to not welcome those people. Like we have a tendency to be like, well, I just wanna hang out with people that are like me. And, and, and I, I've always loved this. I don't know if you know this, but in heaven, there's gonna be a lot of people that don't look like you, that have got a different experience than you, that have a different background than you, have different culture experiences than you. And God is gonna invite all of them into one place where they're gonna gather and they're gonna praise and they're gonna worship. And if you struggle with people that are different than you, you are gonna struggle in heaven because it's gonna be filled with a whole lot of people that aren't like you. In fact, I wanna show you something. Last passage. I wanna take you to the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation, there's a, an author by the name of John, John the Revelator. He was in prison in an isle um, called Patmos. He was there on an island and he was being held and it was there that he had a vision from God of the end times, of what things are gonna be like at the very end of the age. And I wanna read for you out of Revelation chapter seven because this is the end game. This was God's plan, this was God's intention. Let me read it for you, here's what it says. It says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. See, someday we're gonna be joined together with a whole bunch of people. And if you're in the room and you feel like you're an outsider, can I just say, that's okay. Because all of us at one point were outsiders. And my hope and my prayer is that you will find that this is a place that you can explore your faith and the day will come when you're ready to move from outside to inside. And I want you to know that God has made it simple for you. And I believe that we are gonna rejoice and delight with you as you take that journey. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna invite you with every head bowed, every eye closed in this place. Maybe you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus. You've never said yes to him. There's a God in heaven that loved you so much. He sent his one and his only son, Jesus, to come and live a perfect life, a life that you and I could not live. And he offers through his death on a cross, forgiveness of sins. He says that I will die in your place for your sin. And then God raised him to new life. And he says that if I can raise him from death to life physically, I can raise you from death to life spiritually. And he says, in order for you to get in on God's grace, you simply have to believe. It's just your faith that saves you. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that God raised his son Jesus from the dead and you confess with your lips that he is your Lord, God says he will save you instantly because of his grace, his mercy, his goodness. Right now, if that's you and you want that, you just talk to God. You simply say, God, thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you for his life, his death, his resurrection. I place my faith, my trust in Jesus as my Lord, as my Savior. And in that moment, as you engage that faith, as you believe, as you trust, in that moment, God saves you instantly because of his goodness and his mercy. He pours it out on you in that moment. And what starts today in this moment ends in eternity someday with him. God, I pray right now that you'd send your Holy Spirit to lead, to guide, to power, to protect. God, help them as they begin to believe. God, help them to have the power to obey as they begin to follow you little by little as they put their trust and their faith into you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray all of this in your precious name. And the church said, amen. Can we just give God praise in this place? He's worthy of it. Hey, real quick. If today was the day that you said yes to Jesus, we, we want to know about that. We want to go on that journey with you. In fact, last night I got a chance to meet with two people that came out of our Saturday service that that was their moment. They said, I said yes to Jesus, and it was, it was awesome. And if that's you, we want to know about that. We'd love to walk alongside you. And so help us out. In the seat pocket in front of you, there's a card that says next. Grab that card. There's a box you can check that says, I prayed to receive Christ. Drop it off at the information center. We have a gift for you. Uh, our team wants to connect with you. If you're online, 
And today was the day you said yes to Jesus. We definitely wanna know about that as well. So can you text in next to 309-777-0677 and some of our team wants to reach out to you, connect with you today. Um, as you take that journey, we wanna walk alongside you as you begin following after Christ. But today, a couple things before you go. Um, normally we would close our service where we would sing a song. Um, and we're actually not gonna do that today because I got something I wanna do differently. Um, we knew that this series was coming right before Easter and we knew that this sermon was coming. And so we've got a board out there um, in our lobby that says, this is for everyone. And there's some empty bulb spots on that. And some of you have already done this, some of you haven't, but if you're here today and Easter's coming and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I know someone who's on the outside that I want them to be inside. I wanna invite them to Easter. We're gonna ask you to do something. In the lobby out there, there's some light bulbs like this. I would love for you to go out there, take a moment, write the name of that person on this bulb, and we're gonna be praying for them over the coming weeks as we get ready for Easter, and as you invite and invest that God would work through that prayer and through that life. And if you're a parent here today, I had some parents who said, you know what, um, I would love to put my kids' names on a bulb, and I've already done that. If you have not put your kids' names on a bulb, go do that today. Write your kids' names, put it up there. We will be praying every single day for your children, for your friends and your family, your loved ones that need Jesus. And we're gonna fill that board up, and we're gonna continue to invite people that they will encounter the life-saving message of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? All right, last thing. Easter's coming. I wanna remind you of the services just so you're aware of them. They're coming up Saturday, 4 and 5.30 on Easter, and then Sunday, 9, 11, and 1. So there's five experiences. I would encourage you, Saturday's gonna have more room than Sundays. Last year, these were completely full, so if you're gonna show up at 9 or 11, show up early, because we had a whole bunch of people that were in the lobby, and they were not happy. It was very sad. Um, but we'd love to get as many people as we can in, so make sure you're here on Easter. But that's all I've got for you this week. God bless you. Go out in the lobby, say hi to somebody, love on somebody. We will see you next week. We hope this message challenged you, encouraged you, and most of all, brought you closer to a loving God who wants nothing but the best for you. If you have any questions about taking next steps in your faith journey, simply text NEXT to 309-777-0677. Everyone has a next step, and here at Vail, we would love to walk alongside you. If this message was impactful to you, we encourage you to share it. To stay connected to everything Vail Church, feel free to subscribe, visit our website at vail.church, and follow our socials on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, for all of those who call Vail Church home, let's remember, worship faithfully, connect intentionally, give generously, and serve sacrificially. We'll see you next week.